Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and the message is entitled, The Gift of Salvation. Paul the Apostle has given the Ephesians a very vivid picture of their past life of darkness, their position under the first Adam. Dead in trespasses and sins, walking after the course of the world and its influence by Satan. Sons of disobedience, mastered by sinful natures, children of wrath by nature, under the judgment of God. But equally, Paul has provided another vivid picture of their present position in Christ in the last Adam, a great contrast. Alive together with Christ, raised up together and seated with Christ in the heavenlies, on display for the angels throughout all eternity as recipients of his grace and kindness. He does this through verse 1 down to 7. Verse 1 through 3 first and 4 through 7. And so Paul now declared the reason God will display his church in the ages to come that he alone saves sinners. That's the reason. And it's characterized by three things here in verses 8 through 9. Let me read for us here. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The reason God will display his church in the ages to come is because he alone saves the sinner. And it's characterized by the three following things. First, you have the proclamation regarding salvation in the first part of eight, the proclamation. Secondly, you have the explanation regarding salvation, the remainder of verse eight. And thirdly, you have the exclusion regarding salvation, verse nine. First comes the proclamation regarding salvation. Notice the Apostle Paul declared the manner by which God saves every sinner. Ready? Grace. For by grace you have been saved. Paul used the word for as an introduction for the reason God will display the exceeding riches of his grace in the future ages to come. Due to the fact God is the initiator when he calls sinners. They were dead in trespasses and sins, verse 4 and 5. Due to the fact that God, in the, as a transactor, making them alive together with Christ, and then he sits them, as you and I, in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, verse 5 and 6. And it's due to the fact that God is a displayer through the ages to come in verse 7. Now, grace, as we have noted, is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. The origin and source provided for salvation. The origin and source of salvation. The article appears before grace. Not in our English. Literally, the Greek reads, by the grace, a very specific one. 
Paul has declared this grace already in verse 5 at the end. By grace you have been saved, right in the middle, the parenthetical commentary. Paul again mentions this grace that God will reveal the exceeding greatness of his grace. There now again, the grace, verse 7, in his kindness towards us in Christ. So in verse 7 and here verse 8, the grace with the article. So Paul now is amplifying the nature of the grace in salvation. In other words, God did not save us because he felt indebted to us. God did not save us because we deserved it. Paul the Apostle declared the means by which next, which God saves every believer through faith. So the origin and the source is grace. Here now, the means is through grace. Faith, as you know, is not just believing in God or in the existence of some cosmic force that is in control of the universe. The word faith, we've looked at it many times in our other studies. It means conviction of the truth of something, belief of trust in the gospel revealed in this context. Faith is what that which is produced by the Holy Spirit in the person, not their own, when they hear the word of God regarding their need of salvation. But God initiates and illuminates the whole, by the Holy Spirit, and then he's the one that produces that faith. Faith is the subjective medium or the instrument for the process of salvation. It's by grace through faith. Faith is necessary as a condition that must be met. No exception. For faith to be saving faith, to be biblical faith, it must be based on the revelation of the Word of God and response in belief. So the faith is not mine, but I'm responsible to respond when God gives that faith. God does not respond for me. Are we clear on that? Very important. Faith in God's word means a total dependency and trust in the work of Christ. The object and person of our faith. That Jesus is God who became man through the incarnation. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and God was the word. Verse 14, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what God said happened. I must believe that. I must agree with God, Amos 3.3. 3. That Jesus is the Savior of the world, he told the woman of Samaria in John 4.42. I must believe that he's the Savior of the world, not just a good man, not just a prophet. That Jesus, the Lamb of God, who became sin for me, who knew no sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God in him, and that he died in my place, justifying me before God. John 1, 29, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Romans 5, 1 and 2. That there is forgiveness of sins in no other way to God. 
no other name under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved, nor any other media between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. John 14, 6, Acts 4, 12, 1 Timothy 2, 5. I must believe that. I can't deviate from that. And that he alone can impart eternal life to me, John 20, 31. I must believe that. I would never know that unless God revealed it to me. So when I believe God's revelation through his word and I respond to it in trusting God who has turned on the light, that's biblical saving faith. It's based on what God revealed that I would never know about unless he revealed it. Colossians 2.12 puts it this way, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So the faith is the instrumental object there, working to save me. But I responded. Now don't think that's work. We'll get into that. I'll show you, okay? Now notice, the Apostle Paul here declared this grace through faith placed both Jew and Gentile in equal positions before God because he's writing to Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. He's moving towards that because there was such an animosity between Jew and Gentile and the early church. In Ephesians there, chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, Paul gave the past lost life of the Gentile and Jew. Again, verse 1, dead in trespasses and sins. In verse 2, Gentiles walking according to the course of the world, prince of the power of the air, working now in the children of disobedience. The Jews in verse 3 also conducted themselves in the lust of their flesh, giving over their desire, their body, their mind, being children of wrath by nature, just like others, the Gentiles. So both Jew and Gentile are guilty before God. And then Paul gave the present safe life of the Gentiles and Jews in verse 4. But God, rich in mercy, saved them both. But God made them both alive together with Christ by grace, verse 5. But God raised them both alive to sit together with Christ in the heavenlies, verse 6. But God will display both revealing the riches of his the grace in the ages to come, verse 7. God made both Jew and Gentile one and broke down the middle wall of partition or division in Ephesians 2.14. Making them one in Christ Jesus of the two one. Now, this specific grace, the grace, assured both Gentile and Jew they were saved. It's not feelings, it's not emotions, it's not my opinion. It's because I have agreed with God, acted in according to God's word, and trusted God for what he has said is truth. And I embrace it as truth. In fact, the perfect tense is in the passive here. The completed past action with present results in the present time giving a durative force to the finished results, justification, sanctification, and glorification, as we saw in chapter 1, 4, and 5. In the mind of God, he sees it all. We're in the process. It's possible for God to look down and see you before you were even born, as you were born, as you're 30 years old, million years into the eternal aspect, all at one time. 
to you and I, it seems impossible. To God, it isn't because he, he lives outside of the man's time domain. We're bound by past, present, and future. He lives in the eternal present. He can learn nothing. There's nothing he doesn't know. So he's a little bit out of our league. <laughs> or I should say we're out of his. Paul said in chapter 1, 19-23 that they were to know the power of God by the resurrection of Jesus in order that they grasp the same power had raised them from their spiritual dead state. The very same power that raised Jesus has raised us up, made us alive, saved us. Our salvation is described in, three, in a threefold process. We have been saved right here, Ephesians 2.8. We are being saved, 1 Corinthians 1.18, and we shall be saved, Hebrews 9.28. Ephesians 2.8, 1 Corinthians 1.18, and Hebrews 9.28. Past, present, future. John Newton spoke about three wonderful things that he would experience in heaven. He says, quote, when I get to heaven, I shall see three wonderful wonders there. The first wonder will be to see many people there whom I did not expect to see. The second wonder will be to miss many people whom I did expect to see. And the third and the greatest wonder of all will be to find myself there. God's grace. You might um, be listening and thinking that you're not as bad as I'm talking about. So you conclude that you don't need grace to be saved. But the Bible says that the wage of the sin is death in Romans 6.23. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever lied, stolen, Hit somebody? Of course you have. You ever committed fornication? Or lusted in your heart? Don't say no because now you're a liar. You may be a virgin, but have you ever lusted? Have you committed some of these that I've mentioned? Most likely you have. And many, many more. Now, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. What are you going to do on Judgment Day? Just one lie condemns you to death. Just being a sinner condemns you to death. How is it possible that you might think that you don't need grace or salvation? Romans 3, 10 through 12 says it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. That word unprofitable is used for produce. I used to work in the market. You know, the only thing you don't get returns on is produce. Because it's perishable. Pop, cans, milk. You get returns from the companies. At least they did when I worked there 40 years ago. But um, produce, perishable. That's the word right there. 
become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not you. He says one. <laughs> you might argue, how can God um, require that salvation be only in faith in Jesus Christ? You might say, you mean to tell me that all religions are wrong? Yes. You mean to tell me that there are no mediators like Mary, canonized saints, virgins, Peter, so on and so forth? Yes, there are none outside of Christ. You mean to tell me that if I do not believe everything the Bible says about Jesus, I'm against him? Yes. That's what I'm saying. Because that's what the Bible says. I agree with the Bible. So if you're a politically correct, quote, quote, Christian, you may be unbiblical. You may fit into this world, but you don't fit in heaven. And you don't fit in the scriptures. You may say, you mean to tell me that no matter what sins I've committed, Jesus will forgive me for all of them, never mention them, bear in the deepest ocean, cast them behind his back as far as he's to the west, and he will make me a new creature? Yes. If you believe what he says about you and himself, and you respond in that faith that he brings about. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father by me. John 14, 6. That is such a radical statement. In that one statement, he destroyed every religion, every ism, every philosophy, every, everything that will promise heaven to you in a place with God. Radical. You have to either believe that Jesus is God who cannot lie or he's the craziest liar in the history of man. There's no other option. It's one or the other. Paul said faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. The gospel is going out right now. If you don't know Jesus Christ, God is here to produce faith in you. To turn on the light that you might see your need of Christ, that you're a sinner headed for hell, but that he wants to forgive you and save you by grace through faith. Paul said it pleased God to save men by the foolishness of preaching in 1 Corinthians one twenty one. <laughs> There's nothing like preaching. Even as there is nothing like radio. I don't care, even with our technological, you know, uh, with the phones and everything else. And there's nothing like radio to communicate the gospel. The most effective. So the proclamation regarding salvation is by the grace of God. Secondly, he gives the explanation regarding salvation. The rest of Eight. Notice the Apostle Paul elaborated to clarify what he meant by salvation. Because you know how it is. People read things, they, well, what it really means 
kind of like the politicians, they say some stupid things, and then their little cronies come by and say, well, what he really meant, well, why didn't he say what he meant? Opinions are like belly buttons. Everyone has one. The Apostle Paul elaborates to clarify what he meant by salvation. Listen. And that, and that not of yourselves. The Greek scholars tell us the following. The word that is in the neuter singular pronoun. Therefore, it does not refer to the word grace or faith. Both are in the feminine. The neuter singular pronoun refers to the divine act of saving the sinner. You're saved by grace. That's what it's talking about. The salvation is not, nor can it be credited to man. Not of yourself. By the way, the word of is the word ek. It means out from the person being saved. Just like he raised us out ek from the dead. So in other words, not it, this doesn't come from ourselves. The act of salvation is not of human origin. We've already pointed out that it's of divine origin. Sinners prior to hearing the gospel are dead in trespass and sins. Verse 1 again tells us that. Sinners are following the world, Satan, disobedient children of wrath. In verse 2 we pointed out. But once the gospel is preached, God initiates illuminating and bringing about faith, enabling man to respond, which has nothing to do with works to merit salvation, but responsibility and accountability to God. Now, if you're a Calvinist, you're going to accuse me of works. You're absolutely wrong, and I'm going to prove you wrong. We have a response to respond. If God turns on the light and lets me know in terms of understanding my lostness, and his desire to save me through grace. He does not respond for me. He does not force me. I must respond. That has nothing to do with works. It has to do with responsibility and accountability. Are we clear on that? The act and product of salvation is whole and only in and by God. By grace through faith. Notice the clarity of salvation being of God does not mean that man is passive then towards salvation. Nor is it a contradiction of salvation being of God alone. We have touched on predestination and free will already. I don't want to go over it again. But some important points. Both are biblical. Both are not contradictory to each other. We have seen that predestination and free will are complements. God is sovereign regarding his predestination. Man is responsible regarding his choice to be saved, to respond. We do not believe the teaching of predestination according to Calvinism. That God chose a few to be saved and predestined the remainder of humanity to be damned. That is unbiblical. I reject it. I do believe in predestination according to the way the Bible teaches it. But not the way John Calvin taught it or Calvinists teach it. 
It's unbiblical. We do not believe the doctrine of irresistible grace, of Calvinism. We believe grace can be resisted and rejected by the individual to be saved. The Bible teaches that and shows many examples of that. Here's what you have to shoot through. If God forced people to be saved while forcing others to perish, then how can God be just and holy when both groups deserve hell? Simple. How can God judge righteously those he damns by predestination, never having given them a chance to be saved? Simple. And don't come at me with, well, that God is sovereign. What does that mean? That's like asking your son, why'd you do that? Because, what does that mean? You think sovereignty covers it? It's an insult to sovereignty. That's one of his attributes. You're maligning his attribute. You're saying it's unjust. It's a contradiction, a violation of his attribute. And all of them. Now notice, the Apostle Paul specified what salvation is to man. It is the gift of God. God is a possessor of the gift of salvation. He created man in his image and his likeness. A spirit being, Genesis 1.26. That's the real you, spirit. This body is going to go back to the ground. You're going to be dead as dead. But your spirit will be alive, present before Christ. He promised Adam the plan of salvation by a Messiah. The seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. So he didn't just spring it on him. He gave it to him from the beginning. God is the giver of the gift of salvation. He is the initiator in salvation as we pointed out. Man is the responder in salvation. The word give, doran, simply means oppressing. And it's emphatic in the Greek. It's a gift. I may go to your birthday party. And I don't really think very highly of you. I don't even really like you. But I feel obligated. I want to be cordial. Decent. And I buy you a present. When I give it to you. I know you don't deserve it. But you've got to receive it, don't you? The same with salvation. Man is the potential recipient of the gift of salvation if if he meets the conditions. Listen carefully. Faith in the gospel heard. That's the condition. Conviction of their lost condition and need of the Savior, Jesus. Repentance from sins, asking forgiveness. If God has predestined some to be saved already 
and there is nothing they can do about it according to Calvinism, then the condition of faith and repentance are unnecessary in a mockery. That's another problem with Calvinism. If you've already been predestined, there's nothing you can do and you're going to be saved whether you like it or not. You're going to be in heaven even though you want to go to hell. Tough. Then it's a mockery to preach. It's a mockery to say that we have to uh, um, meet this condition. Calvinism is so easy to tear apart if you put on your brain and walk through the scriptures. For a gift to be valid, there must be two things present. The person giving the gift. Again, God was not compelled or forced to save sinners. God was motivated by his love made provisions for salvation by his grace. So the person giving the gift. But secondly, the person accepting the gift. The sinner is not compelled or forced by God again to accept the gift of salvation. If you're a Calvinist, you believe that God forces you to be saved. You cannot reject it. The third point, tulip, irresistible grace. You can't deny it. The sinner responds to the love of God for him in the offer of salvation. The gift is meaningful only when it is given and received by one's own free will. The sinner is thankful to God. The sinner loves God. The sinner is a child of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's the invitation. If that's the only verse you ever learned, if that's the only part of the Bible you had, you can be the greatest evangelist in the world. You need nothing else. <laughs> of his own will, he begot us, James 1.18. He did the saving. We just responded. That respond does not work. Not works at all. You know, having the right key to open a lock on a door and to have access is important, right? You go home tonight and someone switches the lock on you, you're not going to get in. Now, you may believe that the key you have is the genuine one, the correct one, but if it doesn't open it up, you're not getting in. And the same with whatever belief you believe. If you don't believe according to the Bible, you can believe it's the right faith, the right belief, but you're never going to get in. It will not turn the lock on the door. You will remain outside. I stand at the door and knock. If any man open that door, I'll come into him and him with me and sup with him and he with me. He knocks. You know why? Because it has to be opened from the inside. By the sinner. To let Jesus in. He doesn't bust in. 
He didn't say, sucker, you better open up. I'm going to bash this door down. He knocks. No handle on the outside. Got to open it from the inside. The educators of centuries past to the present have concluded that their intellectual accomplishments and contributions to society make them more worthy than others. Though they may not all say it or always say it, they think it, trust me. Yet some of them had and have bad marriages, divorces like any other person and many other things just like the common person. And they don't make that correlation. Their supposed intellectual superiority has not been able to keep them from lying, stealing, divorcing, committing adultery, manipulating, and everything else. Their certainty of the origin of man through evolution compels them to deny God, even to mock God. I like what Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians one twenty. He says, where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Do you know how foolish our President Obama looks to the majority of America and the world? And his administration, when they stand up behind pulpits and say that terrorism is no more, that Yemen is a success, Iraq was a success, and that we're not in danger of nuclear holocaust with Iran. What world are they living in? <laughs> Amazing. Same deception spiritually with people. And by the way, the reason they can say that is because the problem of America and the world is a spiritual deception. The problem we have, ladies and gentlemen, is spiritual. Not intellectual. We're not that smart. Not one person that is in hell now or that will stand before Jesus, the white throne judgment, will say... I could have saved myself. They know now in hell they deserve hell. They will also know at the white throne they deserve the punishment that will be meted out to them. They will say not one word. No one will say to Jesus, but, but you, you, don't, you got that wrong. Gosh. Nothing. There will be not a word. They will know that they should have repented to be saved and receive salvation as a gift. And they will know for all eternity that they chose not to receive it. You remember doing something that you just regret and you've regretted every day of your life? It's only going to be for 60, 70, 80, 90 years, 100 if you live to be that. But when you reject the gospel, 
you will regret it for all eternity. My regrets of my life will end one day. The regrets for eternity will never end. It's quite a different thing. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 says, Moses saying, I call heaven and earth to witness against today, against you today, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. There's a choice. That doesn't force anybody. You have all the right to go to hell. But you don't have to go there. You really don't. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15 and 17. There was a choice. Read Joshua. Some chose for Yahweh, others against Yahweh. And I'm talking between the people of God. Okay? The explanation regarding salvation is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Notice thirdly. He gives the exclusion regarding salvation in verse 9. The Apostle Paul declared works have nothing to do with salvation. None of works. Now he's dealing with works. Paul is not talking about the works under the Mosaic law. The Jews were to keep the commandments, the precepts, the statutes, the judgments. But none of them could save them. But he's talking to Jew and Gentile, so he's not speaking specifically about the Jew. The Jews were to keep all the feasts, particularly Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Presenting themselves three times a year. But that didn't save them either. Or any other work that they would do in the law. Paul is speaking to Gentiles about Anything, and he's talking to the Jews also with general works. Anything a person would consider doing to be sufficient to obtain salvation by what they do. Some of these Gentiles came out of religious, ascetic religions, carrying over their pagan theology of works. If you were an ex Catholic, then you kind of had that mindset as I did. And I had to recalibrate my mind. Because in Catholicism, we're taught that we have to do works. It's the penance, it's the making yourself suffer and not being worthy and, and the whole works trip, right? These Gentiles coming out of religious, ascetic religious, carried this over, denying themselves certain pleasures for a set time or foods. And maybe as they did this, they, well, I, I deserve it. Dedicating themselves to a life of poverty for life. 
And they could have considered themselves, well, this makes me worthy of that. Diligently doing work for those less fortunate. That certainly is enough to get me into heaven, perhaps. Or delivering the oppressed and the slave under tyrannical rule. Commendable works. But they can't get them into heaven. Others of these Gentiles came out of a very sensual and corrupt religions. The majority of them. They could have considered their sexual abstinence and purity as deserving salvation, which would exclude grace and, uh, and faith. It would be a contradiction. They could have considered not partaking in the debauched drunken feast and thought it deserving of salvation, yet faith and works are exclusive and opposite to each other. So as we come out of these religions, philosophies, or wherever we come from, as we get into the Word of God, the Word of God begins to do away with our foolish, false truths. Start sifting them. If you've ever worked at clearing land and you have to sift the rocks or the gravel or the bushes or the roots and you put them through a sifter and the dirt goes through and everything is up there, you throw away as the junk. When you come to the Lord, you come with all kinds of junk. And you start getting to the Word of God and all that junk to say, you throw it out and sift it. And you keep sifting, sifting, sifting. So that what you believe, what you live out, what you embrace, what you hang on to is only what God says is absolute truth. Everything else is false. They could have considered not partaking in the offerings of their pagan idols. As works to earn salvation, which would again be a contradiction to the gift of salvation. Then notice Paul the Apostle declared, boasting has nothing to do with salvation. Lest anyone should boast. Paul focuses on the reason. God designated salvation to be all of his doing. The word lest is the word hina. Introduces the purpose. For this reason, when the word hina is in the Greek text, it is called a purpose clause. The word anyone covers all people. Lest anyone... In any generation, in any nation, in any culture, the purpose is stated. Ready? Should boast. <laughs> the word boast means to glory, to commend yourself, to credit yourself, to applaud yourself. Simply take credit. To point to something for the salvation God has given to them. The eris, middle voice here in the Greek, means literally, in order that no one shall ever get to boast. 
No one will ever get to boast about salvation. And they do here on earth. But not in heaven. But they're not even to do it here. (laughs) If they study the word of God. The plain reason is since we are saved by grace. Since we are saved through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Since both grace and faith in the divine process were the product of salvation. Since salvation is the gift of God. Not even Abraham could boast in works before God, Romans 4, 1 through 4 says. <laughs> when you go through Romans, by the time you get to chapter 3, Jew and Gentile are on their face before God, unworthy. And then he gets to the golden calf, Abraham. And he points him down on his face too. He can't use works. He came by faith. <laughs> You remember Simon the Pharisee looked down on Jesus and the harlot that came in to wash the feet of Jesus with her tears and dried them with her hair. And as Simon the Pharisee smugly looked on and said to himself, if this man were a man of God, he would know what manner of woman this was. Wouldn't allow her to touch him. Jesus, reading his thoughts, said, Simon, I have someone to say to you. He said, say on, master. He says there were two creditors. One owed millions, the other one pennies. The master forgave them both. Who do you think will love the most? Simon, being very smug and self-righteous, said, well, I suppose the one who loved the most, trying to act humble. Jesus was, he was expecting Jesus to say, God, Simon, you are so right. But he didn't. He said, do you see this woman? Probably not even looking at the woman. Just looking at Simon, pointing to her. Her sins are many. She has been forgiven much. So she will love much. Wow, what a rebuke. What an awesome rebuke. Salvation is available to all sinners as a gift, yet not all will receive it. You know people and I know people who heard the gospel when I heard the gospel. You heard the gospel at the same time. You accept it, they reject it. Here you are down the road, 10, 5, 15, 20, 40 years, clothed and sane, doing well, waiting for Jesus to come back. They are dead or have a messed up life. Or worse yet, they're doing fine, they're healthy, they're moral, and they think they're going to get to heaven. Wow. The way all men and women will respond to the gospel is forever recorded, the crucifixion of Jesus. There were two thieves at the cross, as you know. Both of them heard Jesus. Both were equally distant. Both had equal access to him and opportunity. They both rejected Jesus, cursed him, derailed him. 
At midday, the one turned and rebuked the other, says, uh, you and I, we, we deserve the punishment that's been given to us, but this man has done nothing deserving of death. And he turned to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Wow. Doesn't get any simpler than that, man. Those are the two choices that you see all the time throughout life. Those who accept, those who reject. It has nothing to do with God's choice. It has everything to do with your choice. Salvation will always be distorted by those who mix works with grace for salvation. It is a misrepresentation of Christianity in the Bible. It is a contradiction of the gospel. It is an offense to the grace of God. Paul and James do not contradict each other. Paul denies works prior to salvation to be saved, while James declares works after salvation as evidence that you are saved. Paul before salvation, James after. No contradiction. John 19.30, Jesus said, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What's finished? The work of salvation. The atonement. The propitiation. The Father poured His wrath out on Him. He literally died and paid the price for your sin and mine. And when the Father raised Him from the dead, that was the receipt that the payment was accepted. The payment was paid to the Father, not to Satan, like the positive confession fools teach. Copeland, Price, Hagen, and all the boys. Blasphemous. Salvation as God's gift receives and gives glory only to one person, Jesus Christ. Listen to um, Jeremiah 9.24. But let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord Yahweh, exercising loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight says the Lord Yahweh. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three says, Can an Ethiopian change his skin or the leper its spots? Then may you also be good or accustomed to doing evil. <laughs> Are you a black person? Try to turn yourself white. You're a white person? Let's see you turn yourself black. If you can do that, you can save yourself. Simple. A sharp rebuke. Old and New Testament. I am what I am by the grace of God, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10. That's not a cop-out for your carnality. That's for the good that is in you. I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm saved. I live in a way to glorify God by God's grace. Because of him, unto him was able to exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think as we get there in Ephesians 3.20. Did 
To him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the basics of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and one things which are not and those things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh glory in his presence. But of him You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, he who glories, then glory in the Lord. He's quoting the Old Testament. Nothing new. What do you have that you have not received? And you have received the why do you glory, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Everything I have. We're weird. We're deceptive. You hear the mantra a lot of people, you, you see the news? Ah, oh, you like America the way it is? No, no, no. What has America done for you? Nothing? Oh, really? You go to school? Yeah? Well, are you on a visa? Yeah, well, who's paying for your school? You're on food stamps? Who's paying for your food? Brainless people. This nation has done nothing for you? (laughs) Try that in Mexico. Or Europe. Hey, how about Iran? Take a trip to Egypt. Listen to the preview of what it's going to be like in heaven and Revelation 5, 9 through 10. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals. For you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. Every tongue, people, nation, the church. Giving glory to Jesus for saving us. Great things he has done. The exclusion regarding salvation is the glory that goes to God. And so Paul has declared the reason God will display his church in the ages to come. He alone saves sinners. Characterized by the three things. The proclamation regarding salvation. It is by the grace of God. The explanation regarding salvation is the gift of God. And the exclusion regarding salvation is the glory that goes to God. It belongs to him and no one else. You got it? (laughs) 
Okay? You can't boast, but you're responsible. That's not work. To those much is given, much more is required. Father, we worship you. We thank you for tonight, for your goodness, and we pray you would deal with our hearts. Lord, we thank you for saving us. You're so good. You're so gracious. Thank you for burying all of our sins in the deepest ocean. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a divine nature to yield to you, to obey you. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together in your name and just worshiping you as we listen and we learn and we grow and we sing to you, Lord. Thank you for that we're able to be a light to this community, Lord. You are witnesses of church and individuals in our homes and neighborhoods, Lord. We want to lift every person to you tonight, those that perhaps do not know you, Lord. You speak to their hearts. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if God has made himself known to you in your need of salvation, then God has brought you here to be saved. To trust the Lord for your salvation, even as we've taught, as the Bible declares, and you would just allow him to do that work in your heart and call upon him. Maybe you're over the internet. You can do it right where you sit. This is your prayer to him, not to us. He saves you, not us. If you want to be saved, born again, this is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.